Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools and data that help power their emerging markets business strategies. My name is Athanasia Kokinogeni and I'm the Western Europe Analyst here at our London office and I will be moderating today's podcast. Today we'll discuss Russia's long-term outlook with our senior analyst here covering Russia, Mark McNamee, who has just published our Russia 2020 report on the political and economic future of Russia. As a reminder, this report and all of our content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. Mark, this is indeed a very interesting report, and particularly with the timing, as Russia has been making headlines in Western papers, and particularly in the US. So let's start there in international politics. What can you tell us about the future of US-Russia relations, and specifically the impact on Russia's economic future? Uh, Well, it's a Definitely a loaded question. A lot there, of course, when when we look at U.S.-Russia relations, politically, diplomatically, international issues ex- at stake, Europe's involvement, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you know, making this as relevant to our clients as possible, sort of narrowing it down to um, you know what the U.S. relations, U.S.-Russian relations mean for the business world. Um, primarily, at this point, revolves around sanctions, and and this, of course, came up in the last several months, particularly. You know, in light of uh, Trump's rhetoric lately, uh, which also began well before his election during his campaign, some, you know, sort of uh, uh, relatively strange in U.S. politics, uh, positive comments about Vladimir Putin and about and about Russia in general, uh, which he then carried on even after his uh, election and, and inauguration. So it started to raise some hopes that maybe there could be a rapprochement, some some greater partnership, and then in the end, you know, as it pertains to the Russian economy perhaps uh, sanctions removal. Um, I think events in the, really in the last month or so, the last, really the last several weeks since about January, um, has shown that that's becoming increasingly unlikely. Uh, Trump has definitely been sort of put it on the back foot due to some suspicions over his, his personal relations and his campaign's relations with, with Russia and different enter- entities in Russia. Um, but more sort of strategically speaking, uh, we feel really quite strongly that through 2020, um, sanctions are very unlikely. U.S. sanctions specifically are very unlikely to be removed. Um, fundamentally, the U.S. and Russia, of course, have very differing worldviews, naturally, as, as we all know. So the different leaders, whether Trump is elected or a different president or in the future, um, it, it are, are simply the personalities on the stage, but the, the general narrative remains sort of the same as it has been for the last several decades. Um, in addition, in the U.S., strong bipartisan Democratic and Republican um, sort of hardline stance against Russia and, and, the, and the insistence on ensuring that sanctions stay. Uh, and the Congress has importantly um, uh, supported a bill now to veto any potential sanctions removal that Trump would uh, try to put into place. Um, and then more fundamentally, uh, you know, looking forward, say in the next year, two years, three years, uh, it's very hard to see how sanctions would be removed since there isn't a clear quid pro quo. There isn't a lot, frankly, that Russia can really offer the U.S. Some people talk about 
potential partnership in the war on terror and specifically in against ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Um, but there's a lot of problems there with that partnership. Uh, both countries would be likely working at different ends. They both have a very different uh, strategic outlook for what Syria should look like, where Assad plays in that role, um, et cetera, et cetera. So for a variety of reasons, it's very unlikely that, uh, that sanctions would be removed here, even through 2020, so even the long term. Okay, Mark, I understand all this and it actually makes sense. But let's just say events do change and sanctions were to be removed. What would be the impact for our clients? So even if sanctions were to be removed, um, and, and again, I'm talking about U.S. sanctions. U.S. Uh, EU sanctions are potentially more likely to be removed, but only minimally. Um, due to continued U.S. pressure, that will help keep EU sanctions in line as well. Um, but there is a little bit more... Uh, internal disunity among EU members as far as uh, their positions towards Russia and, and, and interest in sanctions removal. Um, but nonetheless, we still feel it's also very unlikely that the EU themselves would remove sanctions. Um, but let's say, as, as you put the question, the U.S. and the EU were to somehow, under certain circumstances, remove sanctions, um, the impact actually would not be that terribly significant, uh, for sure in the next year to two years or even three years. Um, frankly, the, the decline of the Russian economy has been tied really almost entirely to the collapse of energy prices, um, sanctions only sort of exacerbating existing problems within the economy. Um, that said, if sanctions were removed, we would see immediate ruble appreciation, which would be quite significant, say by maybe 10% against the dollar and the euro. Um, but the impact wouldn't be that considerable since inflation already is slowing down. So the, the appreciation would already continue uh, mildly positively impacting this, or, this trend we're already seeing in the last six to nine months of, uh, of moderating and stable inflation levels. Um, that said, over the longer term, we would see you know, in three years from now, four years from now, um, the primary impact being an increase in investments. We would start to see foreign companies investing more. We would see interest rates within Russia uh, come down quicker and, and, and to, a, to a greater degree. And, and therefore, you would see increased investment within the economy, which would help drive longer-term growth. But unfortunately, that wouldn't really be felt until you know, towards the end of, of the outlook that we're, that, that we're talking about here. Okay, I see, Mark. So moving past the international context, let's just now dig deeper into the domestic direction of the country. As you mentioned, Russia's economic problems are related to its over-reliance on oil. Do you see, however, <coughs> that the government is um, doing anything significant to address this in the coming years? Right, it, it, and it's the right question, and it gets really at the heart of the report that we published. Um, the problem, frankly, is quite simple. It's well known internationally. It's well known within Putin's administration as well. Energy, the, the economy is far too reliant on energy. Energy exports account for about 20 to 25 percent of GDP, 35 roughly percent of, of government revenues, and energy prices will, of course, remain low through 2020. While the problem is easily defined, as usual, of course, the solution is, is anything but simple. Uh, fundamentally, this relates to the fact that this is an issue of politics, and this is really the meat of the report. Um, politically trying to reform the economy and, and get them off of, of energy, and not just energy, but commodities in general, um, would be far too destabilizing. The, the existing uh, elites, invested interests, many of whom are uh, wearing several hats uh, as managers of organizations, um, 
highly invested in, in say the energy sector while also officials in the government or even cabinet members or in the defense or intelligence uh, apparatus um, because of, of all of this political and economic power held by um, several people, uh, really groups of people, uh, trying to reform the economy and move away from that would be far too destabilizing politically. Uh, and therefore, that's fundamentally why we, we will not see really um, a, a clear change in the direction of the economy in the coming years. Okay, Mark, so it seems we know what's not going to happen. So what's next then? Right, so sticking on just the quick economic side, we will we'll see growth, but it, it will be relatively slow uh, without uh, reforms. Reforms is really the only way the Russian economy could recover from the economic crisis that's been in the last, since late 2014. Um, that's the only way for, to see accelerated growth. Uh, so we'll only see growth around 1% to 2%, roughly, uh, through 2020. This is, these are average growth rates uh, through 2020. Um, but these economic issues, again, stem from political uh, motivations. So all of this is occurring because of political reasons. Uh, President Putin is choosing, is clearly really chosen a path of political consolidation at this time. He knows that he can continue to um, sort of maintain some level of economic pressure on the people, not drastically improving their living standards, uh, and still maintain high levels of support that he's enjoyed for the last two and a half years during this period of economic crisis. So fundamentally, uh, and really this is the heart of the report that, that I was getting at, um, political control and sta uh, stabilization and consolidation is central to everything. Putin wants to maintain his presidency. He, he will almost assuredly win elections in early 2018 uh, and then be able to serve another term as president through 2024. Uh, secondary uh, to those political concerns are economic interests. Uh, so that being said, he will most definitely be sacrificing economic growth uh, and choosing stability, political stability, uh, and economic stability even over growth. And, and it's become cl very clear really in the last year to year and a half uh, that this is where their motivations lie and this is where their, their priorities are, uh, since we've seen a lot of very clear moves in this direction. So on the economic side, we've seen a very austere budget, really through 2019, based upon a very uh, low conservative price of oil at $40 a barrel. Uh, and this is involving very high budget cuts. Um, even defense spending is getting cut to an extent, uh, but in particular, um, funding into the national economy, uh, some of that state funding that could have supported industrial growth and stronger business activity uh, is not being funded. So. We are seeing, uh, you know, the government intent on lowering the government deficits, bringing it down to hopefully zero percent, so balancing the budget by 2020. So this naturally involves um, cutting spending pretty significantly, particularly as uh, energy revenues. So on, on the revenue side of the government ledger, uh, remaining quite low because of the the anticipated low energy prices going forward. On the political side, it's become clear Putin um, is, is most clearly consolidating his power and strengthening his rule. Um, earlier in 2016, so in the first half of 2016, he created his own effective um, national army, in a way, his own sort of uh, protective um, security group um, it, in order to, of course, secure himself against any potential, uh, say, military or defense threats uh, in the country. Uh, he's also, um, in early 2017, removed some uh, very important governors of, of important uh, regions within the country and replace them with young loyalists uh, that he taps 
from the center to send out to some of these regions. Um, and then, of course, he, there's been some important dismissals lately. He, uh, in, in the middle of uh, 2016, he dis dismissed his uh, former chief of staff, Sergei Ivanov. Um, also in, in the fourth quarter of 2016 um, was the uh, arrest of the former minister of finance, um, uh, Ulukayev. So we're seeing <clears throat> clear movements in, in a direction for consolidation of power very, very closely around Putin and, and his and his clique, uh, if you his ruling uh, group that's been in power, so that they can maintain power for for the coming years. Um, as a result, on the economic side, related to business opportunities, um, they will be unfortunately limited. Then, as the economy only rises minimally with energy prices, um, but overall, this doesn't mean in the end there aren't opportunities uh, on on the economic side, and we still see. Uh, investors coming to the market, returning with investments, and, and seeing the market as fundamentally appealing over the long term. And Mark, what does this mean for businesses? Right, so, so sticking with that topic, um, on the positive side, uh, what we can say, particularly after the last two and a half years, is much more predictability and stability in the economy. The, the government is intent on most definitely delivering a more predictable and stable market, uh, if nothing else for its domestic population, which has seen obviously a lot of ruble volatility and, and uh, very high inflation over the last two and a half years. Um, for multinationals, for our clients, this is of course pretty good news. Uh, after the last two and a half years uh, when we've seen such complicated and difficulty in planning, um, fundamentally businesses can have a much better understanding of how the market will actually perform. It won't be excellent growth, but it will be improved growth compared to where the market has been in the last couple of years. Um, re reforms in themselves, if the Russian government were to have taken that path, create a lot of unpredictability and instability, which is, of course, difficult to plan for as a business. So now businesses can plan a little more confidently and predictably, <clears throat> um, and, and we'll see <clears throat> a more stable and stronger ruble. Uh, we'll see more sort of predictable energy prices and the impact on, on inflation, which would be a little bit more stronger, which would be a little more sort of moderate and stable as well. Um, but more directly for businesses, executionally on the ground, in order to win in this environment when you don't have such strong growth, um, it will have to be through execution. So it'll be through finding niche opportunities, um, you know, and, and this will be involved, of course, segmenting your customers, whether that means geographically, going out to regions perhaps, or uh, within Moscow and St. Petersburg, finding those niche resilient consumers that, st that still exist. Um, or, you know, sectoral segmentation even, uh, or income segmentation, uh, you know, within the country. Uh, in addition, uh, channel management, of course, there's been a lot of uh, distributor consolidation within Russia. This has really changed sort of the landscape of, of the route to market of the channel within the country. So there, there can be opportunities to maybe cut costs or find some efficiencies to optimize your channel structure. Um, and then also adapting your product portfolio to respond to the different customer segments that we've seen emerge over the last two and a half years as, as the economic dynamics have really fundamentally you know, sort of changed overall. But, but, but the final point re regarding that is that there is, despite the recession of the last two years um, and only the slow recovery, in absolute U.S. dollar terms, there is still a lot of money being spent in the economy and a lot of opportunities, and particularly when you compare that to a lot of other major emerging markets. Russia's growth isn't necessarily... Uh, 
um, unique in that in that way. Other emerging markets are growing at relatively similar rates, similar rates, uh, and also in in total size, the GDP is is really quite large. So, it still um, comparatively uh, remains an attractive market to a lot of to a lot of our clients here. Um, on the government side, um, the unfortunate news for a lot of our clients and, and what they've been reporting is that there has been continued government meddling and interference and some. Uh, you know, unplanned, ex unannounced inspections of their business, which is something that will continue and could, in, in fact, increase in the coming years, particularly as Western and Russian relations are, are likely to remain um, rather, uh, if not hostile, then at least uh, combative or conflicting uh, in the coming years. Uh, continued localization pressures are most definitely anticipated. We've seen that, and we've seen continued pressure, uh, particularly in the last six to nine months. Um, and then maybe most importantly are uh, some potential um, tax increases coming in 2018. Uh, most directly impacting our clients would be the implementation of a VAT increase. So the VAT rate is at about 18%, is at 18 currently. It could rise to as much as 21% by certain plans or maybe by 19 or to 19 or 20%. Uh, in 2018. But this is something we're definitely advising our clients on and, and to be monitoring here in, in 2017 as, as this is becoming increasingly likely to be implemented in the market in, in 2018. What could go wrong, Mark? This almost seems too simple and predictable to me. Sure. So there's a few things to consider. Um, one thing I would say is that, uh, and, and we mentioned this in the uh, Russia 2020 report that we published, is that um, Russia is actually facing less risk issues than a lot of other countries globally. And this is partially because domestically, um, politically, it is such a stable situation and, and Putin is most definitely um, consolidating that political control, which makes the market a little more stable, predictable, and more resilient to, to some risk factors. Um, that said, of course, the economy is most vulnerable to uh, another downturn in energy prices. This is not something that we anticipate. We think it's relatively low likelihood. but. Uh, if it were to occur, say energy prices fell to around $40 a barrel and stayed there for nine months or a year, uh, this would have pretty, um, pretty severe consequences on the economy and, and even potentially push the economy back into uh, another small recession uh, if that were to occur. Um, also, of course, as all markets are, are concerned about, is, is growth levels in China. So a severe slowdown in growth in China, perhaps um, brought on by... Um, a property market collapse within China. Um, that, of course, would bring down energy prices in particular, bring down general demand from emerging markets for their, their um, exports, including Russia's exports. Um, that, of course, would have a pretty, uh, pretty negative impact on the Russian economy. Um, so those are the, the primary issues. They're important, but they aren't that necessarily likely. Um, and so we don't expect any of these major disruptors in the next several years to fundamentally derail growth. So, so as I've mentioned, um, growth really is quite predictable going forward. And finally, Mark, where are the opportunities in the market? Right. So if you have such slow growth, you know, how, how are you going to find then good business opportunities? Uh, and it's a, client, it's a question clients ask us consistently, of course. Um, interestingly, the way I respond to this and the way I see it is that these opportunities will actually arise from the very dynamics we just described. Um, this further and deeper political and economic consolidation will further damage investment in the economy. 
Um, investment has been very weak for several years, and even before the oil price collapse in late 2014. Investment levels have been slowing ever since really about 2012. Um, so, of course, as investment remains so weak, local businesses, uh, as well as even foreign investors who haven't been investing as highly, um, are unable to sort of plug that hole and supply Russian consumers and Russian businesses, and even the Russian government for that matter, with the necessary goods that, are, that, that, they're, that they're demanding. And fundamentally, Russians will continue to demand living a Western lifestyle and see their standards of living increase, and the government will, and, and businesses will continue to demand uh, Western, better improved, um, and more modern technology uh, that's available on the market, but is unfortunately, due to low investment, unable to be produced within Russia domestically. So um, as consumers want Western goods, industries need Western modern technology and high-quality component parts, uh, and the government needs, for example, high-quality healthcare products to deliver to its population, uh, these gaps will have to be increasingly filled by multinationals, and, and, and specifically Western firms, who can fill that gap. So, so we do f fundamentally think strong opportunities remain. Uh, our clients likewise think so, as, as they're, they never left the market during the crisis, and now they're, in the last six months they've become far more interested and are putting deeper investments into the economy, um, because they do fundamentally see Russia sort of in absolute terms, at least, despite relative year-on-year -year growth levels, which are, which are quite mild. But in absolute terms, they, they do see a very large emerging market uh, that will continue to be growing in the coming years. That's very interesting, Mark. Thanks a lot for sharing your view on Russia. Those are all the questions I have for now for you. But as a reminder to our clients, you can speak with Mark or any of our FSG analysts by simply reaching out via your client relationship manager directly. You can also access FSG reports on Russia and the CIS region and in-depth market spotlights on Kazakhstan, Ukraine and Azerbaijan on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you a great performance in your emerging markets.